Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God that hears us when we sing our praises, but Lord, when we also come to you in our tears and sadness. And Father, we think of the Winslow family this morning. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the life of Paul. Uh, just what a servant he was. He was almost larger than life. And Lord, he was so instrumental in so many ways, uh, even in leading uh, the, the process of our obtaining this building almost 40 years ago. So Father, we uh, thank you that he's entered your rest. Lord, uh, we know that he is hearing um, your, your greeting of well done, good and faithful servant. And Father, we pray for Karen and their children and grandchildren, that you'd be with them in their grieving, but also that you bring joy as they remember Paul and his larger than life presence. Father, it's uh, hard to imagine uh, that it is a time of, we're entering Thanksgiving this week and we're entering a season of Advent. Um, and yet every day, Lord, it seems like we're confronted when we wake up with new reports of violence that we can't imagine, of wars in other nations, of, um, of just discord in so many places where we turn. And Father, as much as uh, we'd love for this to be a time of joy and laughter and celebration, many times, Lord, it seems like it's a time of grief or mourning rather than a time of rejoice and celebration. Lord, we pray for those, especially this week, who are entering a time of uncertainty other than a time of hope. Lord, those who are finding themselves in a time of darkness rather than entering a season of light. Lord, for those who may be facing the holidays with anxiety and fear rather than anticipating a time of warmth and love with loved ones. Father, we pray that for those that find themselves in a, in a place that doesn't seem to be aligned with the season we're entering, Father, uh, as we sang this morning, I pray that, Lord, they would see angels descending from above and bringing to them echoes of mercy and whispers of love. Lord, what, a, what great words. And Lord, we pray that, that that would be their experience this week. And Father, as we uh, head into a time thinking of those that may be traveling or those that are coming, it can be hectic. Father, so many times we share with each other how busy the month of December can be. Father, I pray that you'd be preparing our hearts for Advent. Lord, I pray that you'd keep our focus on you rather than on the, the next best deal this Friday. Lord, I pray that you would slow us down this week to give thanks, that you would slow us down in the coming month to consider the unthinkable, incredible reality that you would take on human flesh and that you would dwell among us, that you would give us hope. Father, I pray as we sang in the hymn earlier that we would be filled in your goodness and lost in your love. Thank you for the gift of Jesus. And we offer our prayers in his name. Amen. And this morning comes from Philippians chapter four. Rejoice in the Lord always. 
I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Sean. All right. <clears throat> Thank you, Bob. Good morning. As Bob said, we do continue our studies in the Gospel of John this morning. Uh, this will be our last uh, Sunday in John the, um, until next year. Um, but we have uh, the end of chapter 16 today. The story is told of a group of seminary students and a janitor. The students were for a season playing basketball in a nearby high school gymnasium. While they played, the janitor, who graciously allowed the seminarians to use the gym, would borrow one of their Bibles and spend the hour reading it. One day, one of the young men asked the janitor, what have you been reading in the Bible? Revelation, he said. The seminarian chuckled. Yeah, right. No, really, said the janitor. The seminarian then remembered the, his professor saying, no one understands that strange book. So he asked, do you understand what you're reading? Oh, yes, replied the janitor. The seminarian chuckled again, and he asked sarcastically, well, then tell me what it means. And the janitor looked to his right, and he looked to his left, and he leaned into the seminarian's ear, and he said, it means Jesus is going to win. <laughs> Actually, it's even better than that. What the janitor could have said is, Jesus has already won. Or to use the words of John, which we will encounter today, Jesus has already overcome. Let's pray. Well, Father, as we come to your word this morning, we ask for your help. Help us to better understand these words, not only understand them, but to make them come alive in our lives like never before through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we do find ourselves at the end of the main section of the Upper Room Discourse. In September, we began in chapter 14 with Jesus telling his disciples to not be anxious or afraid. And why? Because he says, Jesus says, he is the way, the truth, and the life. 
As we've progressed through chapters 14, 15, and 16, we've explored Jesus' teaching about many things, about the Holy Spirit, whom he calls the paraclete, about realized prayer, about uh, abiding in the vine, about friendship with Jesus, about persecution by the world, about the joy that the Spirit brings, and the topic we've hit over and over again is God's great love for us. And now we come to the end of this main section where Jesus will once again encourage his anxious, frightened, and confused disciples to take heart, to take courage, because he has truly overcome the world. So I invite you into our text this morning, John 16, beginning in verse 29. So his disciples said to him, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I will not be alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Well, it appears the disciples think they have finally figured things out. Jesus, you're finally speaking words we understand. But Jesus responds with essentially, are you sure? Let me repeat what I've been saying. And then he repeats the details of what is about to take place. Jesus is sure they don't understand and they don't understand the need for the crucifixion, which is coming in just a few hours. His hour has finally come. And in that hour, the hour of the crucifixion, they will be scattered. And they will leave him all alone. Jesus has promised that he will not abandon them, but they, they will abandon him. Isaiah 63 will be fulfilled. Alone I have trodden the winepress, and from the peoples no one was with me. In, greed, in Jesus' greatest time of need, when he will confront the ruler of this world, he will be left alone against the world who resists, rejects, and rebels against God. Jesus will be alone his disciples will leave him. Yet, when this happens, Jesus wants to make sure his disciples understand his mission. In fact, he will not be alone. The Father will be with him. And that's the key. Because his Father will be with him, Jesus will be exactly where he's supposed to be. In other words, when all of it goes down tomorrow, everyone will think Jesus has been overcome, but the presence of the Father will proclaim the exact opposite. Jesus 
will be the one overcoming. And then the well-known verse, verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now in this famous verse, there are three key words which I want to spend the rest of our time exploring. In this order, tribulation, overcome, and peace. So first of all, tribulation. In the world, you will have tribulation. Jesus is always realistic about following him. You notice that? He's always realistic about following him. We will have tribulation. Some translations say affliction. Some say trouble. Some even say suffering. Maybe no truer words have ever been spoken. Unfortunately, this is a promise. The word here is flipsis. Don't say it too fast. You might break your palate. Flipsis. A form of this word was used in Jesus' illustration earlier for a woman giving birth. After the baby is born, the woman no longer remembers the tribulation. The woman no longer remembers the flipsis because it has been turned into joy at the presence of the baby. So what can we say about this word, flipsis? Well, it's a strong Greek word that typically means pressure, even crushing pressure. So since we live in California, a good example, a good analogy of flipsis is geological. Beneath the Earth's crust are tectonic plates, huge masses of rock that slowly and constantly move, and periodically they collide against one another. And that's an earthquake. And we just had one, didn't we, a couple weeks ago? Uh, that was a good one, huh? That pressure, the crushing pressure experienced at the point where the plates collide is flipsis. Now, the word is not usually used in the New Testament for the normal frustrations of life. It's not usually used for the normal struggles that we face in the world. Typically, it's used, as here, in connection with the coming of the kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is where God is king, over against the kingdom of man, where man is king. Flipsis happens when the kingdom of God collides with the kingdom of man. Crushing pressure is experienced when there is a collision between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. Crushing pressure is experienced where the kingdom of light collides with the kingdom of darkness, where the reign of justice collides with the reign of injustice, when, where the rule of life collides with the rule of death. Now this happens right after Jesus is born. King Herod, one of the most brilliant but cruel leaders of ancient times, he heard about Jesus being born, this baby destined to be the king of the Jews, and he became threatened by this baby king. 
And he responded by murdering all male children around Bethlehem. And that flipsis continued throughout the life of Jesus, culminating in the cross. Now here in this text, the night before the cross, Jesus says his followers will experience the same flipsis. In the world, he says, you will have flipsis. You will have tribulation. As we seek to live the Jesus way, we will have tribulation. As we seek to abide in Jesus, we will experience affliction. As we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, we will have flipsis. We will feel crushing pressure as we follow Jesus. That's a promise. Now why? Why this pressure? Well, it's because we are branches connected to the true vine and there is an evil one who hates the true vine. Behind all this pressure is the evil one. As Paul says in Ephesians, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is opposed by the evil one, the Prince of Chaos. Jesus, the light of the world, is opposed by the Prince of Darkness. Jesus, the resurrection and the life, is opposed by the prince of sin and death. And we are connected to Jesus. John White says this, he says, Satan's supreme object is to hurt Christ and Christ's cause. You personally are of no interest to him, It is only as you relate to Christ that you assume significance in the enemy's eyes. As we get closer and closer to Jesus, who is the real target, we get more and more shrapnel, more and more pressure, more and more flipsis. But don't panic. This is expected, Jesus says. It is live fish that swim upstream against the current. It is dead fish that comfortably float with the current. (laughs) Now I must say that during this time of moral relativity, where there seems to be no truth out there, I feel flipsis a lot. I feel this pressure a lot. How do I live the Jesus way? in this world today? How do I share the truth of Jesus in love? Maybe you feel the same, maybe you have the same questions. If all authority has been given to Jesus and he has the last word on everything, the last word in every sphere of human life, that's what authority means. He has the last word in the moral, the scientific, the economic, the sexual, the political, the legal, the medical, in business, in entertainment, in sports. He has the last word in all of it. And if so, how do I live that faithfully? 
how do I live the values of Jesus authentically as they collide with the values of the world? This is the crushing pressure I feel. Maybe you feel it as well. I think about our teenagers today. Our teenagers certainly know this pressure. Our teenagers who are seeking to be faithful to Jesus at school, for them it's the pressure to compromise. Maybe even more, our college students. Many are going to be home this week for Thanksgiving. They feel this crushing pressure to conform. You parents, you parents who seek to fulfill your God-given responsibility to raise your children to follow Jesus certainly feel this pressure. This pressure to authentically live and teach the Jesus way, the Jesus truth, and the Jesus life. And you professionals who seek to work from kingdom values in the boardroom, the classroom, on the construction site, in the cubicle, in the restaurant, in the theater, there's this crushing pressure. And the bottom line is the more faithful we are to Jesus as Lord, the greater the pressure. The more crushing the pressure. And notice Jesus does not promise to release it. He does not promise to lift the pressure. I wish he would. He doesn't. He allows the pressure to build on his people. That must mean that in some way it is good for us. But how? How is it good for us? Because it is through thlipsis that we prove and improve our faith. It is through trials and tribulations that Jesus refines his people, that Jesus prunes his people, that Jesus strips away all the excess baggage in order to bring us back to him. So Jesus uses trials and tribulations to bring us back to clinging to him as our only security and our only hope. He strips everything else away so that we're left with just him. In the West, we have a lot of things to cling to. And I know for me, it's my trips to Liberia where the Liberians teach me that all that wealth I have, it's excess baggage. It's just excess baggage. So Jesus doesn't promise to release the pressure, but he does remind us that there's a limit to it. There's a limit to it. The thlipsis is not forever. There is hope, and it is this. He has overcome the world. In the world you will have thlipsis, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now near the beginning of the main section of this discourse, as I said earlier, Jesus encouraged his disciples to not be anxious or afraid. As you trust God, trust also in me, he says. 
And now he ends this main section with, you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Trust me. As you trust God, trust also in me. In other words, be strong and courageous because the final outcome is not up for grabs. It's not up for grabs. The end is secure. Jesus has already won, as the janitor said. Now the word here for overcome is nikeo. Nikeo means to be victor, to conquer, to prevail, to overcome. You know this word because you wear Nikes. Nike is the proper name for, for this word, which means victory. And for your ladies who studied Revelation, you recognize this word because it's mainly used in the book of Revelation. And John uses it there to encourage the church to follow the lamb. To follow the lamb that has overcome. It occurs so much in Revelation, John Stott suggests that we shall overcome it's an old gospel song that became the anthem of the civil rights movement could actually be the signature tune of Revelation. Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now in this setting, this statement by Jesus is both fact and prediction. The fact is that at that moment, the night before the cross, Jesus has not given in to the world. He has not cowered before the world. The world has not had its way with him. He has lived his whole life obeying the Father. And so at that particular moment in time, it is fact that he has overcome the world in that particular way. But it's also a prediction because the next day is the cross. And there he will overcome the ruler of this world. Three days later, the resurrection, that's when a new order will emerge. A whole new world will emerge where sin, evil, and death are defeated. And all authority is given to Jesus. And then in the ascension, he will take the throne and reign as Lord where one of his first acts is to pour out his spirit at Pentecost. The point for us is, as Jesus sends us out in the power of the spirit to be salt and light, we go not moving toward the victory, but moving from it. He's already overcome. Sin, evil, and death are defeated foes, as we've talked about several times this fall. So we're not sent to overcome. We're sent to move into his overcoming and bear witness to his overcoming. To bear witness to his overcoming. So how do we do that? Well, we follow in his footsteps. At the beginning of the, this gospel, John the Baptist points at Jesus and he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus overcomes by being a lamb. By being a lamb 
Yes, he's the lion of Judah, but he overcomes by being a lamb. And not only a lamb, but a lamb that's been slain. The lamb overcomes by sacrificing himself. As Daryl Johnson says, this is the secret of history, that the almighty lion reigns as a lamb, a slain lamb, a lamb who doesn't destroy the small ones to gain power, but who takes the hurts of others upon himself. The lamb reigns by taking the sin and suffering of the world upon himself. Jesus overcomes by being a slain lamb. And we bear witness by following in his footsteps. As a lamb. Not as a ferocious lion destroying others in meetings or in classrooms or on fields or even in churches not as a ferocious lion destroying those that look different from us. Not as a ferocious lion destroying those who are simply not in our tribe. We overcome by being a lamb, by choosing the way of the cross. This is the secret of history. The cross is not only the ground of our salvation, it's the pattern of our salvation. The cross is the throne from which Jesus reigns and he calls us to join us on that throne. To take up our cross and deny self daily. This is the Jesus way. This is the way of truth. And this is the way to life the way of sacrificial love. You have heard it said in the newspapers and on the internet, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus says to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but whoever slaps you in the right cheek, turn it to him the other also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Overcome evil with good. You've heard it said in the newspapers and on the internet, I only need to forgive my brother who sins against me seven times. But Jesus says to you, I do not say seven times, I say 70 times seven times and the newspapers and the internet screams it's foolishness it's weakness it's utter ridiculousness is that a word? I don't know if that's a word but it's ridiculous I think if we're honest with ourselves we sometimes end up screaming that same thing but this is true wisdom. The lion does not win by being a lion. Lioness, destructive power is actually weakness. The lion overcomes by being a lamb, a little lamb, Mary's little lamb. The way of the lamb is the wise way. It's the way to life. It's the poor in spirit, the meek, the merciful, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the peacemakers. Blessed are those 
Jesus says, those who overcome evil with good, who overcome with sacrificial love, that's how we bear witness to the overcoming one. We love just as he loved us. And in the midst of this slipsis and this bearing witness, Jesus says we may have peace. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Peace. It's what most people want in life. Peace. The settled state of wholeness and well-being. That settled state of flourishing that God intends for us. Throughout this discourse, Jesus has told us that if we follow him, we'll be hated by the world. We'll be persecuted by the world. And now we'll have tribulation in the world. And in the midst of that, we'll have peace? Really? Jesus? Is that what he means here? How can he use peace and tribulation in the same breath? And indeed, some people interpret this passage to mean that by possessing the victory of Jesus means we escape tragedy, conflict, tribulation, and trials. Is that what Jesus means here? Is Jesus describing peace from trials or peace within trials? Well, as I was trying to think through this, I thought maybe we could picture our Thanksgiving events this week. It's not noteworthy for a host to be at peace about all the housework that needs to happen if there are no children, no company, every modern convenience, and live in housekeepers to do all the tasks. It's astonishing, however, when the host has six children, several visiting relatives, few modern conveniences, and no housekeepers, and yet moves seamlessly through the confusion and chaos of overburdened days without fretting and without worry and with poise and dignity. This is the kind of peace Jesus is talking about. Peace in the midst of the confusion and chaos. It's peace within the trials, not avoiding them. Gary Burge summarizes Jesus' words like this. The peace of Jesus is a condition that takes the uncertainties and struggles of this world seriously, but like a seagull riding the surface of a turbulent sea is able to climb swells and drop into valleys without worry. Without worry. And why without worry? Because we know that he has overcome. We can have a peace which transcends all understanding within the valleys, within the thlipsis, because we know the end is secure. It's not up for grabs. Jesus has overcome. And he's sitting on the throne of the universe. There is a headquarters to this universe and Jesus is there sitting on the throne. And we have blessed 
assurance that he's already won and we can be at peace in the midst of it. Well, what do we do as we move on from here? What do we do? Well, I have two things this morning. The first one is we take courage. This is the one command Jesus gives us in this text. We take heart or take courage. We be courageous to live the Jesus way. And this is what we we need, isn't it? We need courage to live lives loyal to the Lamb in a world that pressures us to compromise and conform. We need courage to follow the Lamb with abandon in the midst of crushing pressure. Are you anxious right now? Or confused? Or fearful? Maybe over a decision that you need to make to live the Jesus way. Maybe it's over spending time with family this week. Maybe over needing to bear witness by being a lamb and not a lion. Jesus says take courage. He really has overcome by being a lamb. And he really is sitting on the throne of the universe. His way really is truth and life. And secondly, be thankful. Of course, this is the week to be thankful. But as I spent this week trying to conclude this section of the Upper Room Discourse, I found myself being extremely thankful for this Upper Room Discourse and thankful for so many gifts from a good, good Father. I'm thankful for a God who loves us unconditionally. I'm thankful for a God who washes our feet in servant love. I'm thankful for a God who hears and answers our prayers. I'm thankful for Jesus being the true vine and him sharing his very life with us. I'm thankful for the spirit, the paraclete, who is with us, who is in us, and will never leave us or forsake us. And I'm thankful for the gifts the Spirit brings, even in the midst of hostility, persecution, and flipsis. The joy of Jesus and the peace of Jesus. So yes, we can be very thankful for the many gifts from a good, good Father. So as we end this uh, main section of the Upper Room Discourse today, take courage and be thankful. Jesus has faced our enemy and defeated him. He has fought the battle for us and he's routed the foe. We could never do it, but he's already done it. The janitor was right. He has already won. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen. And now we come to the table where we celebrate this overcoming. So I'm going to invite our servers up here.
to, to get ready in the corner and Derek up here to the piano. Indeed, it is here where we remember, where we remember Jesus' battle and his victory. We remember, we remember his overcoming by being the slain lamb, crucified on a cross, his body pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Here is the Lamb of God who dies on a cross to take away the sin of the world. If you follow Jesus, you're invited to participate with us today. So let me first give the instructions. We will do this by intinction again, like we did last month. There'll be four corners. Um, and I will be in the center with packaged elements. The packaged elements are gluten-free. The corners are not. Uh, if you go to the corners, you'll be given a piece of bread. Dip it in the juice and take it. Please don't drink from the cup. Thank you. Now receive this benediction. As you leave here, have courage and be thankful. And may the amazing grace of Jesus, the unconditional love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Go in peace.